Hey, good morning, Salem Fields. We're going to worship together. Come on, get on your feet. Sing this, when all I see is the battle. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. I see is the mountain, you see a mountain. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. Come on, sing, so when I fight. And so when I fight, I'll fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you Every fear I lay in your feet And I sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you If you are for me you are for me, who can be against me? Oh, for Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. Yeah, you. you see an empty tomb oh. so when I fight I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high oh God the battle belongs to you and every fear I'll lay in your feet and I'll sing through the night oh God the battle belongs to you Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Shine in the shadows, you in every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. In Almighty Fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you in every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay in your feet, and I'll sing through the night. Oh God.
Hey everyone, welcome to Salem Fields. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Whether it's your first time or you call Salem Fields Community Church your home, we hope that you experience the presence of God and we hope that you discover that this is a place where you belong. Uh, before we continue to worship, there's just a couple of things that I wanna tell you about. The first is we wanna connect with you. So the best way that you can do that is to pull out your phone and text SF Connect to 94,000 and just give us your name and somebody from our team will reach out with you. They'll get you connected into this community or they'll answer any question that you might have. But we really wanna encourage you to please do that. The second thing that I wanna let you know about is really how thankful we are for your generosity. You know, this community is so generous and just as Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And we have seen you live this out time and time again. And we know that we are able to love Spotsy and really love countless of people all over the world because of your generosity. And so we wanna encourage you, keep utilizing that text to give by texting SFGIVE to 94,000 and then also utilizing our other tools such as salemfields.com giving and then also going out to one of our giving kiosks in the lobby. Thank you so much for your generosity as it helps us carry hope all throughout this world. And lastly, we are so excited about what God is doing in our children and student ministries, and we cannot wait to tell you about it. So we want to encourage you, if you are a parent that has a baby, a toddler, a preschooler, or an elementary age school kid, we want to encourage you to be a part of our meeting that is happening Sunday, October 3rd at 10.15 a.m. in Rubicon Cafe, where Pastor Carrie is going to share the vision that God has given her for the upcoming season. And we're just so excited about everything that God is going to do through your kids. Uh, hey, middle and high school students, we haven't forgotten about you and we are so excited to announce that our midweek journey gathering is back. It is such a blast. Now we aren't at every single week yet, but we do have one coming up on Wednesday, October 6th with middle school starting at 6 p.m. to 7.15 p.m. and high school going from 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. We're so excited about it. Invite your friends and be there. Hey, we're glad that you all are here and we cannot wait to see what God has for the rest of our time together. So would you join me in standing up as we continue to worship together?
Jesus, thank you for knowing us and being fully known to us. Thank you for the gift it is to be in your presence and to worship with you and to give you praise this morning. I thank you that you tell us that it doesn't matter what the world thinks, it doesn't matter what people say or what they think or what they assume about us because we are who you say we are. We are our identity that is found in you, not in this world, not in things of this world, because we know that it's not permanent. We know that nothing that happens here besides loving you and showing people the love of God matters. So thank you for giving us the tools, giving us the authority here on earth to share your name and to share your praise and to share your glory with the rest of the world. And I pray this morning that you help us go out into the world and remember that we are who you say we are, that we are children of the Most High. Thank you, Jesus.
Excited that you're here. Um, my name's Chris, and I have just recently joined the staff in August. Came and as a live campus pastor, and we're still trying to figure out what that term means and all that. But uh, we will as time goes on. But we are ecstatic that you chose to spend some time with us today. I just want to start with uh, asking this question: Of Have you ever thought about the power of belief? Have you ever thought about how powerful that is? In fact, I, I would propose this. I would suggest this to you today, and you can decide over the course of time if you agree or disagree. Uh, but I would say that the most powerful, the most powerful force at human disposal, outside of religion, outside of anything spiritual, the most powerful force at our disposal is the ability to believe. I mean, what do you think of that? The ability to believe. I mean, think back through history. Think back through time. Think back through all the things that have transpired. I would argue that all of them started with somebody believing. All of it started with somebody thinking something could be or should be different. I mean, let's just look at a, a few things. Think about the New World, the Western Hemisphere. Somebody started believing, you know, I think if we go beyond the horizon, something's there. If we just sail a little further, maybe something's there. Somebody has to start believing that. And eventually, people went a little further, went a little further. And they found what we refer to as the new world, the Western Hemisphere. For them, it's always there. But what about countries? I mean, countries have been formed because people believe something, right? I mean, someone started believing that there could be a more perfect union and started a country and got a group of people to agree with that. What about wars? Terrible things, awful things. But the power to believe is good and bad. And wars, all wars started with somebody believing that they were right and the other people were wrong. And so they went to battle. How about going to the moon? It all started with somebody thinking, somebody believing, for some way, for some reason, a small step for man and a giant leap for mankind was worth it. Right? Somebody had to believe it to make it happen. What about societies? I mean, entire societies have been changed, haven't they, because somebody believed something? I mean, I think of Gandhi, right? The whole country of India was changed because Gandhi believed, hey, we can have our freedom. 
Entire societies have changed because somebody started believing their dream could come true. I even think of diseases. I mean, we have COVID going on, right? But all throughout our history, there's been all kinds of diseases. And somebody along the way started thinking, wait a minute, what could be and what should be should not be what we're experiencing. So let's find a cure. I believe we can find a cure. And they found a cure. And then many diseases have been wiped out. We never have to deal with them again. All because somebody believed that. The power of believing. If you look back through history, it all starts with that. Somebody's got to believe it. And whether you agree with me or not, let's just assume you do agree that everything starts with believing and it's powerful. It's one of the most powerful things at our disposal. If it's that powerful that it changes the face of the earth, then how, more, how much more powerful is it to change me as an individual? If all that power is focused on you and your life, what could change in your life? What could happen in someone else's life? If, if the power to believe can change the entire world, what can that power do for me and for you? Have you ever experienced it? Have you ever experienced somebody believing in you so much that it changed the direction of your life? You see, I, I really think that believing is that powerful. I really believe that when somebody believes in us enough and we catch it, we see it, we feel it, then the light switch goes on. It gets turned on. And when that light switch gets turned on, it, it may be that you experience courage that you never thought you had. The courage to do something you never thought or dreamt that you would do. But now because somebody believes in you, there you are doing it. When somebody believes in you enough and that light switch goes on, I believe you find the voice that you never knew you had as well. You find the voice and you become that leader that nobody thought was inside of you, but because somebody believed in you, now you're that leader. You're not a follower, but you're leading. When somebody believes in you just enough and that light switch goes on, you begin to see the world differently. You look through different glasses. You begin to see people differently. You begin to see that they value, the value that they have, that how important they are, the things they offer. You're no longer stuck in your own little world. But when people believe in you, guess what? You start believing in other people. And you see the world totally different. Now, Courtney was a 13-year-old girl. Courtney was nothing special. People looked at her on the outside and didn't see much. But for Courtney, her dad saw something, and a few other people saw something, and they believed in her, and they pushed her. And she did something that when you first look at it, you're like, is that the same girl? Take a minute and watch this clip. Hey, Courtney, you can put your microphone. Here you go. Make sure you don't cup the top. Hold it right there. Perfect. Have a great show. Courtney Hadwin, another this bumpy moment that is incredibly shareable. She was so socially awkward. I'll tell you, even that day, she was supposed to come out, and then they said she's so scared, can we wait? Hi. Welcome to America's Got Talent. How are you? Um, a little bit nervous. She could barely speak when she came on stage. It was like, you know, hello, what's your name? And how old are you? 13. Oh, 13. Wow. Um, what's your favorite subject in school? Music. What kind of music? I don't know. <laughs> she didn't know. She couldn't even answer that question because she was so uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, you know, let's just get this over with quickly because I don't think this is going to go well. And then, one, two, three. words to describe it. like a switch just turned over. She had the most amazing dance. <laughs> You gotta know we're going and we hope you 
110 million views. That is incredible. And she was like, she was all shy again, like this little girl again. That was an audition I will never forget. Now, now for Courtney, it was the music, right? And if you don't know, if you don't, if you don't watch the show or whatever, I, I watch the highlight thing sometimes. But she got the gold buzzard, and she went on to the to the live show. Um, for her, is music. When that music kicked on, is a different girl. But the contrast is what I want you to see, that how she was so different. I think the same thing happens when we believe, when somebody believes in us for the first time. I just think that can happen. Have you ever experienced it? For me, it's my high school coach. I played football for the high school, for JV program, my eighth grade year. Then my ninth grade year, I got away from football, and I started hanging out with a different group of people, changing what I was doing, changing what I was interested in. And that year, halfway through my freshman year, that football coach came, he pulled me aside one day in gym class, and he says, Chris, you're becoming quite a jerk, but he used stronger language. And he said, this isn't the Chris that I once knew. This isn't the Chris that I knew before. What happened to that one? Because of his tough truth, telling me the tough stuff, but also because of his encouragement, because he, he in the hallways would talk to me, He'd invite me to come into conditioning and got me back into playing football. Because of that, he impacted my life. And every time I showed up, every time I was around him, I wanted to be there more and more and more because I just felt like that was the place. I felt like somebody believed in me. Who doesn't want to be around that? And because of him, I went on, got confidence in who I was, found Jesus, Following Jesus, became a leader in my high school, became a leader of the football team, went on to play college football, ran track in college. As when I was in college, became a youth pastor. And for the next 20 years, served students as in the role of a youth ministry as a youth pastor. Became a high school football, baseball coach. Coach or teach now public school history in the public school system. Did Dale Spitzer have anything to do with that? Would my life be any different if Dale Spitzer didn't believe in me at that moment? I don't know. I think he does have a part in it. Would my life turn out the same? Who knows? But whatever my life is, I do say Dale Spitzer had some role in it, an important role, because he believed in me. What about you? For the last couple of weeks, James has been walking us through this thing of the foundation of relationships. And each week he asks us three questions, or two questions. Who's invested in you, and who are you investing in? Who's investing in you, and who are you investing in? I like to tweak those questions just slightly if I could, and just make it who, who is believing in you? Who is believing in you so much that it's changing the direction of your life? And who are you believing in? Who are you believing in so much that it changes the direction of their life? Those aren't easy questions because it really boils down to how do we view ourselves, right? I mean, if, if, if I don't see myself as having any value, then why would somebody want to invest in me? How would somebody do that? If I don't have any value, why would they do that? If I don't have any value, well, who would invest in me? If I have no value, then what do I really have to give to someone else to invest in them? And that's really what it boils down to. What is your value? How do you see yourself? Come with me if you would. I want you to take a trip with us. I wish we could all go there physically. But we're gonna to go to a far off place, a place a long ways away from here, a place that's in the middle of what's known as Asia Minor. Here it is. This is, if you climb to the top of that hill and you look all around, you won't see a house, you won't see people, you'll just stand up and you'll just see fields and fields and fields that go on in all directions. This is in the middle of nowhere. But if we were to dig down in that hill, that tell, 
if we were to dig down in there, excavate that, then we would find what is left of the story of a young boy who his community didn't believe in. We would find the, 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 the artifacts of maybe his home. We would find the artifacts of a kid who life was changed because somebody came to this far off place in the middle of nowhere and simply believed in him. If we were to excavate that hill, we would find the, the artifacts, the remains of his town, Lystra, and the life of Timothy. So come with me if you would as we look at the story, the relationship of Paul and Timothy today, starting with Acts 16. I just want to read a couple of verses. This is where we first hear of this. It says this in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul came to Derby, which is the town just north of Lystra, because he went there first. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and her name is Eunice, whose mother was Jewish and a believer. This is, that's important. We'll get to that as we tell the story. Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. He was a pagan. He was not a believer. Whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, spoke well of Timothy. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. The journey, yes. This is Paul coming back for his second journey. He's already been here once. And we'll get into that as we tell the story. But what do we know so far just from that? Well, we just know that there's Timothy, right? We know that he's got a mom. And we know that his father is a Greek. But that's a big part of the story. I don't know if you know the word or not, but there's a Hebrew word called mumzer. And a mumzer is someone who is born from a forbidden marriage, a forbidden relationship. In fact, a lot of the Sadducees, if you look at the text, the Sadducees, uh, uh, they, they claim Jesus was a mumzer. We know he wasn't because it was a virgin birth, but they claim that he was a mumzer from a forbidden marriage, a forbidden relationship. Timothy here, having a Greek father at the time and a Jewish mother, was from a forbidden relationship. What does that mean? What does that do for him? Well, let's look at the story. Imagine with me. We're there, you're there with Eunice. And she begins to tell her mom, Lois, that she's interested in a boy. She's interested in this, this guy. And in that conversation, it comes out. Yes, mom, he, he's Greek. Well, well, Eunice, you can't, you can't have that relationship. You can't. That's forbidden. I'm sure Lois tried and tried and tried to convince her that this would not work. But this 14, 15, however old she was, didn't hear of it. Lois may have even taken Eunice to see the rabbi. And I'm sure if they went to the rabbi, the rabbi would have said, Eunice, you can't do this. Do you know what the text says? Do you know what the Torah, the scriptures say about a forbidden relationship? In Deuteronomy, here on the screen, Deuteronomy says this, <coughs> no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. Do you know what this will do, Eunice, if you have a child? That child will not be able to be with the union of the Lord, those who gather together in the name of the Lord. He can't be part of it. Well, I don't know how much longer it was, but one day, sure enough, Eunice comes with a child to the rabbi. I don't know if they're married. The scripture doesn't say. I don't know if they had a some just you know a relationship and it's over. I don't know if the dad's in the picture. I don't know. The, the text does not say. But on that eighth day, as any good Jewish girl would have done, she would have brought Timothy to the rabbi. And she says, Rabbi, it's the eighth day. I want to raise him as a Jewish man. Will you circumcise him? I see that rabbi grabbing hold of that baby and crying maybe when he tells Eunice, I can't. But rabbi, Eunice, I can't. It's forbidden. But rabbi, surely he, he can go to the temple one day in Jerusalem, right? No. He can't go to the temple in Jerusalem. Can he go to our synagogue here in Lystra? No, he can't go to the synagogue in Lystra. But Rabbi, will you spend time with him in the middle of the day and teach him the text, the Torah, just like you do all the other boys in town? No, I can't. The law doesn't allow it. 
This is the life of Timothy, the outcast, the one who's not allowed to go to the other kids' parties because all the kids say, my mom says you were bad. My mom says your mom did something bad. You're not allowed to go. That's the life of Timothy. That's what Timothy grew up on, the outcast from day one. But let's take a look at something. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But as for you, Paul talking to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You've known it since you were an infant, from infancy. Well, how in the world does a mumser learn the text when he's not allowed to be part of anything? I don't know. Did he, when the rabbi gathered all the other boys and they were in Torah school, which is what every boy wanted to do, they wanted to learn the text, then that day, it's hard for us to imagine that today, but yes, they wanted to learn the text. Did Timothy sit outside the window in the grass and all the insects listening through the window to learn the text? He might have. Did Eunice have it memorized and shared it with him from an infant? Did Lois have it memorized? Perhaps every Sabbath when the, when the rabbi was standing on the steps of the synagogue and would stand out there for hours at a time just reading the text and everybody else in the community standing and listening. Did you catch that? For hours at a time because they were so passionate about the word of the text, the word of God. Was Timothy back in the weeds and just listening and taking it all in? Is that why Paul later on tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, never neglect the public reading of the scripture. And Timothy probably says, you bet I won't forget that because that's how I learned it. That's how I got it in here. Was that Timothy? I don't know. How did he learn it? He knew it. Despite what everybody else around him wanted to do or not do, he did what he needed to do. And then one day, just like any town, Rabbis would travel from town to town. Different rabbis would go from the town to town. And all the boys would come out. And they'd say, maybe this is a rabbi that will take me with him. Maybe this is a rabbi that will say, hey, I can be your disciple. I'm sure rabbis came to that town. And Timothy asked his mom over and over again, hey, mom, can I, you think I could go with him? You think I could be that rabbi's disciple? And she says, no, you can't. You're a mumser. You can't. He won't take you. But then one day, guess what happened? One day a rabbi came to town by the name of Paul. A rabbi came to town. But this rabbi was different. This rabbi was talking about something. This rabbi was talking about a guy named Jesus. This rabbi came and he was boldly proclaiming stuff that they've never heard of before. For the first time in history, things were being proclaimed. And Timothy's listening to that and thinking, is there hope in that for me? You see, Paul was there, and I, I imagine at some point, Paul was, was telling the entire community, in Jesus, there are no Greek or Jew. In Jesus, there is no slave or free. And there's Timothy over in the weeds probably thinking, in Jesus, is there mumsers? Timothy maybe for the first time had hope that, hey, I, I, I can get out of this. But then just as quickly as he had hope, the leaders, the religious leaders of his town, along with some leaders from other towns who didn't like Paul, didn't like what he's talking about, drug that rabbi out of that town, drug him out of that town, got him out to the outer skirts of the town and stoned him. They wanted to stone him to death. And they left him to die out there thinking they killed him. And they all came back into town. And I'm sure Timothy was wherever he was by himself just watching things from a distance. And all of a sudden, a ruckus begins because that same rabbi who they drug out and tried to stone and kill came walking right back into that town and picked up where he left off. Do you see the boldness in that? I mean, think about that. What would you have done? I mean, somebody tried to kill me. Am I going back in there? But Paul did. 
Paul went right back in there. And then that afternoon, that evening, the next day, early in the day, he's gone. But he left a legacy. Because the scripture tells us that Timothy's a believer and Eunice is a believer and Lois is a believer. And I just believe that what that means, if you look at the text, the, the, the writing of the text, if it was a believer in God, not Jesus, just a, a Jewish faith, it probably would have said God-fearer. But it says believer. And so I believe they believe in Jesus based on what Paul came and preached that time in Lystra. But two years later, guess who's back? Paul comes back into Lystra. Paul comes back into Lystra. This time he's doing something different. Before, he was just wanting to start churches. Hey, let's just get people together. And then I'm gonna move to the next one. But now, he's looking for disciples. He's looking for people to follow him, to go on the journey with him. He's looking for people who can become like him because he is striving with all of his might to become like Jesus. And he's looking for people who can do that. And he comes to Lystra. And of course, the rabbi comes out and meets him. He probably tells the rabbi what I'm doing. I'm looking for disciples. And all the believers, as the text told us earlier, all the believers, all the believers say, you wouldn't believe this guy, Timothy. Well, who's Timothy? Well, well Paul, this is a mumser. A mumser? Yes. He, somehow he knows the text. He knows the word of God. More so than all the little boys who are sitting in Torah school from the age 12 till now. He knows it better. Well, I gotta meet this kid. Oh, well, you'll find him over in the field over there in the weeds. What would you give to be sitting there beside Timothy and hearing footsteps coming, just thinking of somebody to say, hey, maybe dinner's ready. And all of a sudden you hear the voice that says, hey, are you Timothy? And you look up and there's that rabbi you remember from two years ago and you say, oh, are you Paul? Yeah, I'm Paul. And Timothy, would you come follow me? Those are the three words in that time every Jewish little boy wanted to hear. Come follow me. I'm telling you, that's, that was like the thing they wanted to hear. Come follow me. Because that meant somebody believed in them that they could become like the rabbi. And this rabbi was becoming like Jesus. You bet Timothy got up. You bet Timothy said, yeah, I'll come. How would you like to have been in the house? After he talked with Paul there, and he went running home. He goes in the house screaming, Ema! Paul wants me to go with him. Paul wants me to travel with him, become like him. Somebody believes in me. Can you imagine the tears on Eunice? For 15, 16, 17 years, because of what she did, her son, was a second class, third class, fourth class citizen in their own small little town of Lystra and was made fun of all of his life. What do you think she did? You talk about a celebration that night, right? I'm sure there was a party going on. I'm sure there was a party going on. Can you imagine what it was like the next morning when they left town? When Paul's leaving town and who's with him? Timothy. What do you think all the other little boys, I mean, I, I just kind of picture all these teenagers now are lined up, right? And Paul's walking through them, and there's Timothy. I mean, who was walking tall? Was his chest stuck out? Was he smiling? Was he pointing at him? No, I, I think because he wants to be like his rabbi, who wants to be like Jesus. He just humbly walked out of that town and let that image speak for itself. And then he followed Paul off into brand new places, off into brand new places. Well, what did Paul see in him? What did Paul actually see in Timothy? Let's look at maybe two things. Here, let's look at this verse. This is where we find Timothy. You can go back to that picture, I'm sorry. This is where we find Timothy next. The largest city with a church in it, which is Ephesus. Now keep in mind where he came from. Keep in mind he came from that little hill in the middle of nowhere. Even to this day, there's nothing around it. That's where he came from. Now he's the pastor of the church in the largest city with a church in Ephesus. Not only is this a large city, but Domitian becomes the Caesar of the Roman Empire, which controls this part of the world. And this becomes the headquarters for Domitian worship. And Timothy becomes the pastor in this place. 
All because Paul believed in him. So what did he see? Let's go to the verse. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. What is that gift? What did Paul see? What is it Paul wants him to fan over and over and over again? I think there's two things. The first thing, it's the boldness. It's the courage. I mean, here is Timothy in a town which doesn't accept him, and he does what he's not supposed to do. He doesn't let that keep him from achieving what he wanted to achieve in life. Whatever it took, he learned the text. Whatever it took, he was prepared when that time came for that rabbi to say, come follow me because you can be like me because I'm striving to be like Jesus. He was prepared regardless of those, what the people said around him. Regardless of what others said should be or could be, he did what he wanted to do because he knew it was the right thing to do. He was, he was passionate about it. Fan that boldness into a flame. Now, what that was in their day was chutzpah. When Paul came back into that town after being stoned, that was chutzpah. In the Jewish circles, that's not a bad word. In our world, we kind of, mm, maybe there's some negative connotation to it. I don't know. But let me just give you a little illustration of what that is. A, four, four, a fourth grader happens to go to Hebrew school. A Jewish boy happens to go to Hebrew school and also go to public school. Imagine that, students, going to two schools. He goes to Hebrew school and goes to public school. And the timing was just perfect. The timing was just perfect because in Hebrew school, they're learning about Jonah and the whale. In public school, in science class, they're learning about whales and their anatomy, how they're made up. And they're discussing whales in, in science class. And the teacher says, okay, whales, what they eat, this is what they eat. They can't eat anything big because their throats are real small. And so that's why they eat small little things. And the boy's thinking, wait a minute. The rabbi tells me, you know, the whale swallowed Jonah. He's pretty big. And so he raises his hand and says, you're not right. Because the whale swallowed Jonah. And the teacher says, no, 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 no. You're wrong. Uh, whales have small throats. They can't swallow anything big. They can't swallow him, and the, the, the little boy keeps after it. He keeps after it, right? And, and he finally just says, well, well, I'm going to ask him when I get to the life to come. I'll ask him. And the teacher says, trying to be funny, says, well, well, what if he's not there? And the little Hebrew boy says, well, then you ask him. That's, that's just, that's chutzpah. Where you believe what you believe, you believe it. He believes Jonah was swallowed by the whale. And Jonah was going to be in the life to come. And Timothy believed, I want to learn the text. They tell me I can't learn the text. Everybody around me tells me I can't, but man, I am going to. I'm going to do what they don't think I can do. But what's the second thing? Let's go to another verse in Jeremiah. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Is the word of God a fire in our hearts, in our chest? If we can't speak of it, it boils up. It just like expands and becomes so, so, so passionate that it just comes out. How important is the word of God to you? How important is the text to you? Paul saw that Timothy was passionate about the text. He was passionate about it. So much so that he's going to do whatever it takes to learn it, to understand it, to apply it to his life, to allow it to change you from the inside out. And when Paul came and said, come follow me, that was the opportunity. I think those are the two things that Paul saw in Timothy. He saw chutzpah. He saw passion. He saw boldness. But he also saw a passion for the text. Timothy was the least likely, the least likely of people to become a follower of Paul and in turn a follower of Jesus based on his surroundings. But he became that. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a Timothy? Are you a Timothy who hears all the voices around us? You're not this, you're not that. You can't do this, you can't do that. And we believe it. I was. I was a Timothy. 
But don't believe it. Don't believe what the people are telling you around you. Believe what the creator of the universe says who you are. And the creator of the universe has chosen you. The creator of the universe sent his son to die on a cross for each and every one of us. Whether we've chosen that or not, that's a fact in my book. He has already chosen you. He's already chosen you. Rabbi Akiva, a first century rabbi, said this. He's credited with saying this. The worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do, he's telling his students, his disciples, his followers, the worst thing you do is convince people to believe in God and fail to tell them that God believes in them. I want you to know God believes in you today. Wherever you're at, whatever you've done, whatever your life is, it doesn't matter. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. Are you Timothy? Or are you Paul? Are you a follower? What are you doing with it? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then what are you doing with it? Don't know? You don't have to do something big and grandiose. You know what you need to do? Invest in one person. Pour your life into somebody. Maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe your neighbor, maybe in your community. Who are you pouring your life into? Who knows you believe in them? That's what we're all called to do. That's what we're all called to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, then do that. And God and Jesus will be so happy. Pour your life into somebody. What would it be like if we as a community left here, all, every one of us, left here as a Timothy? And said, despite my surroundings, despite what's being told me, despite what's, what I'm hearing, I am going to follow Jesus and nothing's going to separate from that for me. I'm going to do and follow him and become like him in every aspect of my life. Haven't mastered it, haven't perfected it, but each day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to strive to love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. What would that be like? What would it be like if every one of us decided we're going to be Timothy or Paul's? and got up out of this place, and walked out of this place, and said, we're gonna find somebody, either tonight or tomorrow morning, we're gonna start investing in them. We're gonna pour our life into them. How would our community be different? What would this community be like if 20, 30, 40, 50 of us fanned the flame within us, fanned the passion, the boldness, the text, and we allowed it to change us so that we could be all that Jesus wanted us to be? How would our community be different? How would your home be different if that was you? Perhaps you're here today. Perhaps you're here today, and for the first time, you never, you never realized that Jesus has already chosen you. You never realized that God is passionately in love with you. You just never realized that. And so today, you, in your heart, you just want to choose him. Today, in your heart, you want to trust him. Is that you today? Perhaps you're here today and you chose him one time before, but maybe, just maybe, we need to choose him again because the voices, the other voices, became so powerful, so loud, and have distracted me and took me away from what I know to be right, what I know to be true. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer with me in just a second. Repeat a prayer. But I want to ask everybody, the entire church, to stand with me. Stand at home if you would. Stand with me. And I want to ask the entire church to repeat this prayer with me. It's a way that we can support and encourage those who may be praying for the first time. It's a way that we can say, we believe in you. We're here for you. And so let's pray, and I just ask you to repeat after me. Lord, I believe you died on the cross. Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. You rescued me from sin. Today, I choose you. I give you all of me. Come fill me with your life and your love. Live in me and love through me. Thank you, God.
It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Know this. No matter what you do this week, God believes in you and God loves you.